Welcome to Stories That Shape Us. My name is Joanna Daniel. Stories That Shape Us is a daily podcast where I share my perspective on how different experiences influence our view of self, how we interact with others, and how we show up in the world. I, I do, I, I see them do that. Okay. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stories That Shape Us. My name is Joanna Daniel. I have a very special guest today. His name is Daniel. He's from, he's a youth educator and advocate from Collective Shelf. Daniel's um, page came up in my, on my um, timeline right at a time when I really needed it. And I'm going to talk some more about why I needed it and how helpful it was to me. And I'm hoping it's going to be to you. Thank you for coming, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. Do you want to tell us some more about yourself, the work that you do through Collective Shout, and how you what what kind of youth advocate are you? How do you how do you support youth educator? How do you support young people? Sure. Thank you so much. So yeah, I work for Collective Shouts, so we're a grassroots campaigning education advocacy movement against sex exploitation in all its forms, the objectification of women, sexualization of girls. And I have the privilege of primarily focusing my role on, on boys and men, but obviously to advocate for all of society to recognize the harms of pornography, of sexualization and of objectification. Uh, that has me predominantly spending my time engaging young men across Australia to, to think about how these harmful cultural messages impact their ideas about masculinity, about sexuality, about how they see men and women, so stereotypes about body image, mental health, consent, respect, all these topics. And so mm. our, unique, our unique position is we take a very much a porn critical focus on how we do education for young people. Mm. And I, I love that. There's so many things that you said in there that, I mean, one, I've never heard in church. I've never heard it anywhere else for, for, for that matter. So our young people are not getting appropriate education around sex and consent and pornography and, and the impact of that. And what, I want us to talk a little bit about um, how pornography um, impacts our young people and why is, why is it so important, the work that Collective Shout is doing and you're doing, why is that so important? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's good to recognize that everything is educating. Education doesn't just happen in a classroom or a university. Uh, the whole world around us, what we learn about through society and culture really shapes us, but it shapes us more in an unconscious way. That's where we take our cues. When it comes to pornography, I recognize that as probably the most powerful educator and sex educator. My background is I'm a health professional who's done media and PR uh, postgraduate studies. And I actually studied propaganda and I would say pornography is the most potent form of propaganda we've ever served up to our civilization. And mm. we're seeing the impacts of that. And just to give some statistics in case people are interested, uh, the average age of exposure from the latest UK research from 2023 January was that uh, 13 year olds is, is the average age of exposure, but that's for boys and girls. It's definitely younger for boys and 10% of nine year olds have been exposed to pornography. And so when we wow. consider that, and here in the Australia, some of the research suggests that 20% of adolescent boys are watching it every day, about 40% every week, and close to 70% monthly. So that is having a huge impact. And I say that even as much as I think what we do is fantastic, how do we compete against that? How can yeah. you compete against that kind of formation or deformation, however you want to frame it? 
Uh, how do you compete against that? And so they are learning so much through pornography as an educator and a sex educator. And we hear the stories and the stories are getting worse and younger in terms of what they're learning. Because as pornography has become more mainstream, it's also become more violent, more misogynistic and more racist. And that's something that for a supposedly progressive society that values equality, I don't think we've really grappled with that. We haven't really examined why that is and why we've put the profits of the global porn industry above the well-being and rights of young people to have their adolescence, their pub, you know, experience of puberty, their bodies not distorted or groomed or disrupted by this industry that doesn't care about their well-being. So we'll start it there and there's heaps more to say on top of that. Oh, I mean, those are staggering statistics, Daniel. Those are staggering statistics. And when I, when I think about the impact that it's having on, on families and homes and, you know, just the, the areas that you list that it's affected and it's becoming more aggressive and we see domestic abuses on the rise and it's so urgent then for us to educate our young people about the harmful use of pornography. Um, and I was thinking, you know, why is it so alluring um, for, for young people? It, the ages are getting younger. We know it not, it's not just boys that are introduced mm -hmm. and that are consuming porn and that there are no safeguards in the mm -hmm. industry for, for young people. It sounds like you are up against this, this giant. Yeah, it is a giant. Uh... Some people would call it limbic capitalism, just like gambling. It knows how our brains are hardwired to pursue dopamine hits for our reward systems, uh, our limbic system to fire up and send out neurotransmitters. Uh, and that's what happens. It's it's part of our, our hardwiring. We're just not hardwired to experience our sexuality disembodied through pixels on a screen without skin-on-skin no. -skin contact. And so what I do want to say is that we're very pro-sex which is anti-porn and for people that conflate the two i think they're very confused about sex and sexuality and so when it comes to well why is this alluring well because we're hardwired for sex we're hardwired to seek dopamine hits our reward system loves novelty it's curious our brains are hardwired for it and so it provides an endless stimulation and so, mm. as I say to young boys and young people, it is normal to be interested in sex and sexuality in bodies, in, uh, in being attracted to people, in, in what, yearning for intimacy, sexual and otherwise. And so it is, it is unfortunately filling that need and, and distorting it and, and hijacking it is the language that I use. And so if we don't prevent it, uh, but if we don't obviously provide alternative spaces for people to make sense of themselves, their bodies, their sexuality at age appropriate ways with healthy information, then pornography is just filling in all the gaps and tragically even in doing worse than that. So uh, that is the that is the need uh, to, to address that at the moment. That is so crucial because that, that's what probably is not happening in a lot of spaces, the education, the addressing the need. It sounds like you normalize it for young people. Like it's, it's, it's normal to feel like this. It's normal to, to have these, mm -hmm. um, these um, thoughts and, and, and feelings. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's normal to be curious. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I, I was exposed to pornography when I was 11 years of age, right? And so I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't searching it out. Uh, other kids are. They might be curious or they hear mum and dad or something on the TV and they type in innocent search terms into Google or maybe inappropriate things they've heard someone else say. 
And this yes. is what gets fed to them. In my instance, it was an older family friend showing me, um, which mm -hmm. is also very common. I hear this from young people that they're being forced to see it at school, on the school bus, at the school camp, older brothers, older friends or boys in the class showing them. Yep. At church too, at school camps, uh, church camps, all these sorts of things. And so how do we preventatively kind of engage young people to, to be aware? Um, the research suggests that by talking about it, we don't actually encourage people to go and look for pornography. We can actually equip them to know what to do when they are exposed to it. And so that's a... That's actually the most important part here is sometimes we walk that space where people think that we're going to corrupt the youth and we kind of say, well, you, sh you should already see what's out there on Snapchat, on TikTok, on Discord. Young people are being exposed. So I'll, I'll give a couple of concrete examples. So I'm talking year six and upwards. I ask year sixes, how many of you have been exposed to adult content on Snapchat, TikTok or your gaming feeds? And 60% of hands go up. Mm -hmm. That's just anecdotally from every session. By the time we get to year nine, it's nearly 100%. So wow. it is finding them. They're not even going looking mm -hmm. for it. And this, mm -hmm. for me, should be a space of empathy for adults because it's not to say, wow, you young kids, why are you doing this? It should be, yeah. oh, my gosh, us adults have allowed this as in as a society. We have unleashed this at young people. Puberty and adolescence has always been hard for everyone. And yet these kids have social media, smartphones, sexualized media, everything at a click of a button. They're being preyed on by bots, preyed on by predators. They have these industries that know how their brains and our brains work better mm -hmm. than we do. And we want them to show resilience and we want them to kind of live out their values courageously and disrupt that. Like that is such a tough task if we're not actually equipping them for that. Well, I, I love, I, I just, I, I just love this because you're talking about giving adults empathy for young people to understand the, the stage and age that they're in. And as, as you're talking, I, ha I have teens in my house, two teen boys and a, and a girl and that stage of development when hormones are all over the place, we have to have in these conversations about mm -hmm. the, how normal that is. And it's just the phase of life that you're in and your body's developing and you know how mm -hmm. to manage those hormones. And nobody had those conversations with me. And here I am having to have it with my teens because I want to plug those holes where there's an industry that is waiting to meet that need. And I find Absolutely. that sometimes Sometimes parents don't have the language, Daniel, or the tools to to have those conversations. It's uncomfortable for them. Sex is uncomfortable for them. And as you said, talking about pornography doesn't mean that you're going to send somebody to go look for pornography. It means education. No. How can you talk totally. to, how can you talk to a parent or a church group who are they're very conservative and they don't even say the word sex in church, so you're not going to hear pornography? What can you tell them about how to help their young people? Yeah, well, first of all, obviously, if you believe in God, then you have to believe that sex is God's idea. <laughs> and so he, he, we have to recognize that and then say, well, how do we talk about this in a healthy way? How do we talk about this in a way that is going to minimize harm? And, and I think we have to be really honest about that for young people, because by not talking about it, whether someone has acted sexually or potentially and even more frightening, if they've been taken advantage online or by someone in, in real life, uh, how do we have conversations that signal to them? We're not going to shame you. We're going to moral. We're not going to morally judge you. We actually 
actually want you to know that this is a place where we want you to be healthy in every sense, physically, emotionally, relationally, sexually, spiritually. And so we need to signal to them that these conversations are normal, they're necessary, they're a part of, of what it is to be human. And we want to do that in a very healthy way that encourages young people to speak to trusted adults and caregivers. And so the reality is, as tragic as it is, you, you could have the best parents, the best community, the best school, the best church, the best whatever. But the reality is we're competing against billion dollar industries and we have to not make it mean that we have failed as parents or we have failed as educators or we have failed as communities. We're fighting up against billion dollar forces. So let keep that in mind, have some grace for ourselves, grace for everyone and say, well, you could have the best kid who has accidentally stumbled across stuff. It is so much more important that we normalize them coming out and speaking about it because the alternative is they hide it, they live in shame, they keep it in secrecy and it escalates we know yeah. from brain science that it will lead to higher tolerance scientific yeah. term is desensitization where they yeah. continue to go down a darker and darker path and we know this i hear this from 11 12 13 14 year olds i was speaking to a church mom just this morning and she said she was her son was 11 when she went to wake him up in the morning and she saw that the last thing he fell asleep to was watching incest porn the night before Wow. It was wow. on his phone as the alarm went off. That wow. Morning. And this uh -oh. is a mum who has been proactive, has been engaged, and that is just tragically the world uh, that we're navigating here. And so a few things is we can't panic, we can't react, we can't get upset at our children because if they've opened up to us, we that's a wonderful thing. We have to keep those lines of communication open. Uh, yeah. That shows that they trust you. And again, this isn't a one-off conversation as well that we have to get perfectly. It's not the sex talk. It's lots okay. of talks about sex, right? <laughs> it's not a one-off thing. And it's yeah. the teachable moments. It's They might hear something on the radio. And believe me, speaking to young people, it blows me away how many things they pick up on or hear about mom and dad or see how mom and dad react to things. And so they're learning and they're taking their cues from all of this. And if they hear something, rather than quickly shutting off the TV and being embarrassed or, you know, seeing something, it's like, well, what do, you could ask them, like, what do you think that means? Or how do they understand this? Or what do you think the message is when we see a man presented like this or a woman presented like this? Yeah. It could be in an advertisement or it could be on a TV show that's depicting unhealthy or unrealistic expectations about sex and relationships. Like, that could be a great teachable moment. It's not not to say that you agree with it, but it's to say, well, what is this teaching? Use you know, because a lot of it is teaching young girls that they should be pieces of me up for grabs sexually all the time. And it's teaching boys to be dominant, to be controlling and to see women like that. And so yeah. if they can start to dissect that, and that's what I do with boys before I start talking about porn, I do what is called like media literacy. And I show them depictions in mainstream culture of men and women. And I ask them to tell me, well, what is the message this is reinforcing about men and about women and about power and about sex? And they can do it intellectually. So they get it. They have the smarts. And I'm talking year six, seven boys upwards, right? They have the smarts. It's about getting into their hearts, right? Uh, it's mm -hmm. one thing to give an intellectual answer, but then it's another thing to say that I'm not going to show up in the world that way. I'm going to reject that and choose to relate with empathy, with mutuality, with reciprocity, 
you know, uh, with courage when it comes to my values. And so yeah. I would just say that we have to anchor it in both a critique of the culture, but spurring them forward to think about, well, what does that feel like? What would it look like? What would it feel like to form healthy relationships? And we're wow. not talking just sexual or romantic. It's like, what would that feel like if your friends knew you were trustworthy and the women and girls felt that you were safe? Like if I'm talking to a young man, you know, what does that feel like to be a guy that people go, he's courageous, he lives his values, he doesn't compromise. Wow. He's a, a young man of integrity. He, That's I, right. I, I can depend on him to keep me safe. He's never going to take advantage of me. Be, totally. You know, all, all of those things. What, what would it feel like to be that kind of person as opposed That's to right. In, in yeah, not way. someone who everyone goes, oh, yeah, he's, you know, that's the creepy yeah. guy. And everybody knows he's doing dodgy things at a party and everyone kind of yeah. knows he's that guy. And so, like, what do yeah. we do about that? But, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's, there's lots of things that, yeah, we need to normalize. And I think yeah. recognizing that these things impact people irrespective of their communities, irrespective of how good their families are. Mm, mm, mm. I, I think sometimes, as you said, porn is so normalized now that, they are married couples that use porn. And I don't think, I was having a conversation recently with, with a group of women and they were sharing that, you know, someone had a friend who felt like it was okay to use it in their marriage. And so I don't think sometimes adults understand um, how aggressive the industry is in, mm -hmm. in educating even adults in feeling like this is a normal thing. So how do we educate children then when we think, the aggression, the misogyny, um, the racism, they, just all of that is okay because it's spice up. Um, well, that is the difficulty is we've all become yeah. desensitized. I had a yeah. mum in a, in a Catholic school the other day acknowledge and it was brave of her in front of a few hundred of her peers, fellow parents to say, I've become desensitized to all this at the end of our talk. And I think mm -hmm. that posture of humility we actually need is I don't do this work saying I'm an angel on a cloud immune to all of this all yeah. you plebs down there you're the ones so affected by desires and being aroused and all that no 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 no. I'm I'm a man navigating a hypersexualized culture navigating porn culture trying to have a healthy relationship to myself and the people around me like I'm I'm squarely in this and I have to be uh, vigilant and I have to be discerning as I navigate all these messages that I'm bombarded with and so I think in terms of yeah parents they they have to recognize how they've been affected and I think every healthy person should be able to articulate how porn and porn culture has shaped them you know and recognize what is the distorted teachings and what they've had to unlearn again even if you haven't been exposed to pornography the language the ideas permeate culture and i think someone who has that emotional capacity that capacity for reflection should be able to recognize yeah this is what it started to teach me and this is yeah. what i've had to willingly unlearn and this is now what i'm choosing to learn or choosing to embody when it comes to all my relationships and so i think i would caution all people but especially women like don't date someone who consumes porn and if they have and you'd want to know, well, what did it teach them? And can they articulate what they've had to unlearn? Because if mm -hmm. they haven't, I'm not sure they're aware of how much of a formation they've received from pornography. Absolutely. And what you said is just so, so, so crucial that you said you're a man, just normal. We're all navigating a hypersexual culture, um, trying to make different choices because you said earlier, and it's true, and, and this is what I talk to my teens about, 
you know, the, the hypersexual culture that we're living in affects the emotional part of our brain, the limbic system. When it's mm -hmm. written there, then we have sometimes a lifetime trying to consciously engage the frontal lobe to make different choices. And sometimes that's, that's right. the hard work that people find challenging, especially when you're when you're doing it on your own and you don't mm -hmm. have the support of empathetic, kind and loving parents um, to help to guide you to make those decisions, to engage your frontal lobe and to make different choices, to be that person of integrity that you want people to see you as. And so that's why mm. I think can't be afraid of the message, can't be afraid of tackling the subject of teaching positive, healthy sex education or just relationship to, to young people. Otherwise, yeah, we're, absolutely. We're absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you so much on that. We, we have to normalize talking about it. Uh, I recognize that that's difficult for perhaps teachers and sometimes parents to their own young people, but we can yeah. definitely just talk about it in the abstract. Like, how is this affecting us? How, what is it teaching us? There's yeah. great resources out there uh, online. Uh, happy to share some. And in terms of my stats earlier, that was from the Children's Commissioner in the UK uh, wow. as well. And that, that report is titled, Most of it is really just abuse. Uh, is actually just abuse, which is a quote mm -hmm. from a young boy reflecting on what he's seen in pornography. And wow. so there is becoming more of this critical literacy around pornography. But yeah, there's definitely more work to do. And I think we can start at younger ages, not necessarily talking about pornography, but stereotypes, the ideas that we start to learn about women and about men and our role and our place in this world. And so I think that's where it can start so that when we are presented with even more toxic media, we can hopefully critique it and recognize how unhealthy it is. Absolutely. Um, but I yeah, we can't do it alone. You mentioned connections. I'd love to talk about that as well, if you'd like to. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was going to get onto that. I think it's important for us to maybe put it in curriculums that, you know, um, Sabbath school and Sunday school and we do pathfinders and scouts and put it in curriculums where we work with young people so that they understand it early and we're training them early to recognize. Um, so you know why I contacted you that morning? Uh, background, I work with men, as I said earlier, who are trying to heal from pornography addiction and do good work with men. Um, but then I got a message for her from a young mom saying, Joanna, this is what I noticed, this is what I saw, she was distressed, what can I do? As I said to you, I believe connection can fix anything. When we can have secure connection with our children, we can listen empathetically, we can walk with them through places of challenges that they're walking with. And so I gave her some of those pointers and she kind of messaged back and said, is that it? And I thought, I felt completely de-skilled, like I didn't know how to manage the subject when it was a young person. And so that's when your feed, what your stuff came up on my feed. What would you say to that young mother? Would connect, can connection help her? How can she help her son? It's definitely a part of it. I think ultimately we have to start with why. And does this person have an internal motivating factor as to why they want to quit? Not because uh, their mum told them, not because their partners told them, but because this is something that they're choosing and they're clear on why they're choosing it. Uh, for example, they also need to know like what, what is motivating, what outcome do they want? And it has to be more than just, do I want to quit porn or not? Like the, 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 the why has to be a vision for like what life would look like. How would they feel? What would life look like? What would you have access to? What gifts, talents, abilities would you be able to give more expression to if this mm. wasn't something that you were compulsive 
possibly using. So I think we need a really clear vision on what that looks like and the why behind it. But also in some senses, perhaps the stick as well as the carrot helps, which is, well, there's the carrot. But like, for example, you know, I say to young men, if if this was something that you were to use day in, day out, and you would become desensitized, because that's what your brain would do, where would that lead you? What would that do to your brain? What would that do to your loneliness, your satisfaction levels? Would you be able to enjoy life? What would it do to your relationships? There's almost a need to think like, what would it look like if I didn't stop this? Go and speak to the men who have had compulsive use for 10, 15, 20 years and see where their lives have ended up and like that scares me spitless to be honest and that's not my motivating factor i'm more driven by a positive vision but sometimes it's like i've seen these guys they've rocked up to workshops they've lost their wife their kids everything they're alone because this thing has consumed them as they've consumed it it's tragic Uh, and then from there I think it really needs to be like a stock take of, well, what, is my life geared towards me choosing what's healthy or what's harmful, right? And there are no superheroes. It's not about willpower. I think so much of it is structuring your life, doing a stock take. What am I eating? How's my sleep? How have I structured my room, my actual environments? What am I filling my time with? What is my connection like? What do I do with mindfulness? Like there is like so many areas of our lives. And this is, again, there's no silver bullet, but here's some stock take areas to think about. And I think a big part of that is like, what are my triggers? Am I going to, when I'm bored, sad, lonely, hungry, rejected, depressed, and getting clear on that and then going, well, why is that? Like, why is that? What am I looking for? You know, because it's it's soothing. That's what it ultimately is. But it's like, why? What is it being used to soothe, to distract? That doesn't justify it. But that is very much what I hear from young people everywhere. And then I think getting clear on what, what that is. And, and finally, we have to be open to saying, do you need professional help? It's very unlikely you will overcome this alone. You need community, you need accountability, and you very well would need professional help from a counselor or therapist who has a porn critical framework. There are Mm. plenty of dodgy people out there who think porn is fine and could enhance your sex life. It goes against all the global research. You need to find someone who agrees with that, who's going to help you to overcome it and form the kind of person and relationships that you that you desire. Uh, and the reason I say professional help is I'll share a story to illustrate my point. There was a guy uh, in my former life, we used to play sport together routinely. We were in each other's lives. He knew what I did for work. He never, ever opened up to me until a couple of summers ago where he then said to me that he'd been using pornography and it had destroyed his marriage to the point of his wife screaming, wailing in agony in their kitchen floor, which is understandable. She'd felt betrayed. She was sick of checking in and asking and they were a few years into their marriage and it was completely destroying their intimacy on every single level. And what blew my mind is like, he had struggled with this since he was 14. He brought it into his dating. He brought it into his engagement. He brought it into his marriage and just had never taken it seriously. And I would have said this was an upstanding guy, a guy that I trusted a lot. I'm not saying that he's not trustworthy, but it, he just never took it seriously until there he was his wife wailing, crying on the floor. And at that point is finally when he took it seriously and he took himself to a sex addiction fellowship, which was hard for him because it's like, well, these other guys are on the verge of you know, committing crimes and purchasing women in the sex industry who are being exploited. Like I'm just looking at porn every so often. But he did that. He started to see a therapist and he put accountability in place relationally. 
And I say all that to say that we have to recognize that that may very well be what people need. Because I've had some people say, oh, maybe I just need an article. And these are smart, intelligent men. And I'm like, I don't think you need any more information. I'm not sure it's a lack of information. For the young boys I speak to have never heard a porn critical message before. It could very well just be some information that really helps guide them. But I really want to come back to that scenario where it's like, no, 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 no. He needed to take some significant action. And I think sometimes we are self-deceived. We are kidding ourselves when we think that this isn't going to affect us or affect our relationships. And then it will spill over until it's at crisis point. But I would say let's actually take those really positive, healthy steps sooner so that there's less damage to be repaired. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I know what it looks like at the other end and it doesn't, sure. it's, it's yeah. not, it, it ravages somebody's life when you, Absolutely. a man comes in his forties and thirties, even trying to heal. It just, it really rips their lives to bits. Um, mm. even a man who is single and lost the wife, it just is completely, it's a complete takeover. So yep. I'm really passionate about, the education that is needed for young people to know early what this can do and the potential and how it will destroy their lives. So thank you for that. What would you say to the the 11 year old that was caught with using, um, consuming porn? What would you say to him? I would say, I'm, I'm so sorry. This isn't your fault. We, the adults haven't safeguarded you. We, the adults haven't protected and equipped and empowered you to make healthy decisions or to even the fact that you even have to make a decision between what's harmful and what's good. That's on us. You're not bad, wrong, evil, because you've looked at this, a billion dollar industry has preyed on you, has groomed you, has hijacked your brain and your body connection and has fed you stuff that you are hardwired to be interested or to find interesting. Um, You're not bad or wrong, that it's important that you get the support that you need, uh, whatever that looks like, and for you to actually thrive as a young person. And so, yeah, that's a big part of my messaging that this is normal to be exposed. Uh, And again, that's not great that that is the case, but they have to know that they're not alone here because a lot of them feel that. So it's, it's normal. This happens to other young people. And there's other young people who have had this, who have managed to choose healthier alternatives and healthier lifestyles and have thrived afterwards. Mm, mm. And they have thrived afterwards. And that's so important. That's a key message for the, for the mom and for the child to know that there are young people mm-hmm. who have gone through it and have chosen healthy afterwards. In, in the few minutes, t- tell us about how connection can help, Daniel. Um, yeah, I would just say that like we need that. We absolutely are hardwired for connection. We yearn for intimacy. Unfortunately, men are conditioned to think that connection and intimacy is purely sexual. I think, you know, that is a, such a tragedy for men to not be able to give and receive love, connection, intimacy through all relationships, not just romantic and certainly not just in the place of sex and sexuality. And so we need connection. Uh, I would say that whether you're porn is is or isn't a thing for you like we need it to thrive as humans but for people who are clearly soothing more and porn is just one of those things then they clearly have a huge connection deficit they need to find other meaningful life-giving things and people are that for us i know for me in my lowest moments it's been connection but also in my highest joys i've craved connection in them that's what makes them so beautiful 
And so I think if anyone is struggling here, like, please know that you're not alone. The numbers tell us that. We just yeah. need people and especially men to be brave, to be courageous, to share their stories. Because every time I do, hundreds of men come out and speak and open up and, and share the realities of what's happened to them. And so I think we need to do that and to realize in that place of connection, like so much can happen, but there's a vulnerability there. But that's a beautiful thing. And, and that's for me where there is hope and where there is transformation is, is men finding like-minded community. And I would encourage men to gather with those kinds of guys and journey with them, irrespective of whether you're sober one day, still struggling or on the journey or, you know, fully overcome it. Like everyone, you know, can benefit from us all sharing our stories and helping us along the way wherever we're at. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Daniel, for coming. And I know we could go on and my mind, I'm a creative, so my mind is always going like, okay, so what could we do no next? Doubt. Oh, there'll be people who want more. I'm going to share this with my pastor and elder. They're amazing. And I know that they will jump on this for the young people that, that are in our church. But what do you have anything on offer that could help parents help their young people? Sure. I've got lots of resources that I could recommend. If there's questions, feel free to send them through, obviously, to you, Joanna. Perhaps we could do this again where we just ask yeah. me the questions and we can work through them, uh, you know, if there are specifics in that all. But there's some great websites. Uh, none of them are ours, but we just collaborate with other groups. But you could come to collectiveshout.org. There's some good information on the harms of pornography, what we're doing to advocate, how we're, how we're educating. Uh, I would also recommend resistporn.org was created yeah. here in Australia for church communities and just other people looking to educate in this space. I highly, highly recommend those resources. Uh, and there's even more. So feel free to get in touch and ask any questions. And I'm happy to send that through to Joanna. Thank you so much, Daniel. I really appreciate your time. And look out on, check, keep checking our website on Wilson Scars to see what else. I'll put some of those links that Daniel mentioned below this video or in the show notes of the podcast on Spotify and Apple so that you can have access to the resources. But the resounding message that I got was we live in a hypersexual world. The porn industry um, impact our limbic system. Once it's written there, it's hard work to, to rewire, but it's possible and it's doable. If we can have empathetic, understanding conversation with our young people around porn, then it helps them to understand and help them, give them a vision. And Daniel talked about that intrinsic motivation, like what is it that is, they're not going to want to do it, stop, because it's a sin. You know, and I'm, I'm speaking from this, the Christian perspective, but most of us are like, you're engaging their frontal lobe then, and that's not where it is. It's, so we need to engage them on a different level so that we can help our young people not get to 30 and 40 and struggling and battling, losing their marriages and their self-esteem and their integrity, which takes a long time to rebuild. But we can go on about this. We're, we're going to stop here, but keep looking at Wilson Scar's website to see what we have next about the subject of porn that I know is so crucial and important to many. Thank you again, Daniel, and thank you for joining us in this episode of Stories That Shape Us. I hope you'll join us on the next story. Thank you for listening to Stories That Shape Us with Joanna Daniel. To learn more about Wounds to Scars and the work that we do with adult survivors of childhood trauma and women who experience abuse, you can visit our website at woundstoscars.com.